You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Mossy Oak has partnered with Ducks Unlimited to bring you Shadowgrass Habitat, the official camo of Ducks Unlimited. Shadowgrass Habitat pays homage to the first waterfowl-specific camo pattern ever made, Mossy Oak Shadowgrass, while incorporating the most realistic, digitally accurate images of the natural habitats that make up true waterfowl habitat. Mossy Oak is committed to conservation as its highest priority. With the launch of Mossy Oak Shadowgrass Habitat, Mossy Oak will continue funding habitat protection projects through our longtime partnership with Ducks Unlimited. Check out the new Shadowgrass Habitat pattern at mossyoak.com. Step into the world of Campus Waterfowl, a community that's shaping the future of the hunting industry. At Campus Waterfowl, we're more than just hunters. We're students. We're, students. we're conservationists. We're conservationists. With the next generation. the next generation. Join us as we highlight the dedication and commitment of young hunters nationwide. Visit CampusWaterfowl.com to become part of our story. Campus Waterfowl, the future of hunting starts here. We are the Ducks Unlimited Nation. United by our passion for hunting, the outdoors, and conservation. The habitats that Ducks Unlimited have been maintaining and building since 1937 have effects far beyond the duck hunting community. Follow along with our YouTube series as we tell your stories and become part of the Ducks Unlimited Nation. DU Nation. Take it outside. Welcome to the Ducks Unlimited podcast, the only podcast about all things waterfowl. From hunting insights to science-based discussions about ducks, geese, and issues affecting waterfowl and wetlands conservation in North America, we bring the resource to you. The DU Podcast with your host, Dr. Mike Brazier. On today's episode, we will be visiting with Samantha Fino, PhD candidate at South Dakota State University where she is studying interactions between mammalian predators and breeding ducks. Samantha is the recipient of another one of our Ducks Unlimited fellowships that are awarded annually to help support outstanding graduate students that are conducting high-impact research important to DU's wetland and waterfowl conservation mission. Sam, welcome to the Ducks Unlimited podcast, and thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me. Sam, I think we want to start out uh, the way we do with all of our new guests, giving you an opportunity to tell our listeners a bit about your background, how you ended up at South Dakota State, and how you ended up studying predators. I've seen some of your pictures on social media, and, and I know you're no stranger to predators and handling them. So I think there's some interesting background to your to your story. So please, please share that with us. Yeah, sure. Um, so I actually grew up um, a little bit outside New York City in Connecticut. Um, I never really grew up, um, you know, camping or hiking or any of that stuff. And I really got involved in that when I went to college for my undergrad at the University of Delaware. Um, that's where I kind of got introduced to wildlife conservation as a whole. Um, you know, I learned very quickly that a desk job uh, wasn't really for me. I really enjoy uh, field work and interacting with both people and animals. Um, and then sort of the introduction to waterfowl um, was facilitated with uh, Dr. Chris Williams. Um, I did my senior thesis um, or undergraduate research project with him um, studying bioenergetics uh, in the mid-Atlantic region. So that kind of opened the door to research for me um, where I learned, I guess I really just enjoyed 
answering unknown questions or sort of exploring um, things that we don't know about the natural world um, and just kind of the scientific process, which I found really engaging. Uh, from there, I went to the university or uh, West Virginia University, um, where I studied uh, tick abundances and distributions in relation to host populations in regards to Lyme disease. So a little bit different um, from waterfowl there, but um, that's where I learned a lot about trapping um, and sort of the mesopredators and small mammal um, community ecology sort of uh, interactions that they have there. Um, and then from there, I came here to South Dakota State University, where I began this PhD project. How long have you been at South Dakota State? This is my fourth year now. So I've completed, I just completed my third and final field season um, this past spring and summer, which is definitely bittersweet. Um, but now I get to do the joys of uh, data analysis and writing. That's right. That's a critical part of it. With regard to your master's project uh, there at West Virginia, did that also require you to interact with the capture and maybe sampling and marking of predators? It did. Yes. Yeah. So, um, I mean, we only did uh, raccoons and skunks and anything sort of smaller than that. Um, this project here at South Dakota State really allowed me to sort of get to trap and handle more of the canids, um, which has definitely been a learning experience. Um, but yeah, it's sort of the trapping and handling began at West Virginia University. I wanted to ask that just because, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, I've seen some of your pictures on Instagram and Facebook. And I think there's probably there probably aren't many mammalian predators that you haven't had your hands on by the looks, <laughs> by the looks of things. So I knew there was a lot more to your background in that regard, which is pretty cool. Uh, so <laughs> and it's neat that you were able to kind of pair that with with study of duck nesting ecology as well. So Sam, I mentioned at the also at the outset that you're a recipient of one of our Ducks Unlimited fellowships. We all we want to take this opportunity to recognize that and and kind of bring some attention to those fellowships and the people that support those fellowships. Yours in particular, you're the recipient of what's known as the Bonnie Castle Fellowship for Prairie Ecosystem Studies. It's designed to foster research in, in the prairies that enhances the scientific understanding of prairie wetlands, associated habitats, and wetland-dependent wildlife, and contributes to the protection, restoration, and wise use of this highly altered landscape. And so you are working, uh, you're working where in the prairies? Where's where your, uh, your field sites? Yeah, I'm working um, sort of in the central part of the eastern half of South Dakota, specifically in Falkenhand County. So um, a very rural part of South Dakota where sort of the um, prairie pothole region meets uh, habitat alteration and fragmentation for agriculture and range, um, you know, and, and rangeland. Well, we certainly extend our appreciation to the sponsors of that Bonnie Castle Fellowship. And we thank you, Samantha, for submitting your proposal uh, years ago. I think this is probably what your, this is at least your second year being the recipient of that fellowship or is it, is it the third? The third, yes. Okay. All right. Well, very good. Yeah. So that's one of the fellowships for which the uh, the annual award can be extended, I think, up to three years for PhD students and maybe two years for master's students. And so you fall into that former category. So congratulations to you. And again, thank you to the supporters of that Bonnie Castle Fellowship and, and uh, helping to advance this important research. Yeah, I am super appreciative of this fellowship for sure. Um, without it, we would not have the number of technicians that we have and definitely wouldn't have been able to meet our objectives as far as field work. So, Sam, I, I think now I want to just kind of turn the floor over to you and have you tell us a, a bit about your research, kind of how the how the idea was conceived, uh, kind of where you came into this and what what kind of questions you're trying to answer. 
Yeah. So um, there's been a lot of research um, historically, both on duck nest survival and predators. Um, very few studies have incorporated the two together and have observed the two together. Um, there's a few notably. Um, I know Phillips did a lot of work on this as well as um, Alan Sargent. But with technology kind of improving over the times, we have GPS collars now, um, which really allows us to get a finer scale on what these predator movements are, what their behaviors are, their you know search patterns habitat selection. So, um, you know, although the areas, of course, have changed over time as well, technology has really sort of improved um, the results and the data that we can collect to answer these types of questions. So um, I know Game Fish and Parks, who's our main funder, their main question um, focuses sort of around uh, predator control and management. So in our study area, we have two counties, Falk and Hand County. Um, in Falk County, for over 30 years now, they have um, aerial dispatched um, about 1,200 coyotes each year within that county, um, whereas Hand County does not implement that type of management. So the greater picture, I guess the greater question that Game Fish and Parks um, is curious about is uh, if one, if that management is effective and how it sort of trickles down um, within the predator community and then how it indirectly influences duck nest survival. Well, that's interesting. I, I'm not aware of all the details of your study, so I'm going to learn a lot on this episode here as well. And so the the implementation of that practice by one of those counties, is that designed primarily to benefit ducks or is it ducks and pheasants and other upland nesting game birds uh, or non-game yep. birds? What's the, what's the motivation there? I think the primary motivation, in all honesty, is probably for pheasants. Um, I'm sure as a lot of scientists can understand, you know, a, a predator won't know the difference between a duck nest or a pheasant nest. So the implications of our study definitely applies to um, pheasant uh, nest success and their, um, you know, ability to, to survive and their populations to continue as well. Um, pheasants, I mean, I'm not, obviously, I don't know so much about pheasants or too much, but um, they're a little more difficult to sort of study as far as nest survival. Um, from my understanding, you really need to mark the hens and monitor them from a distance. They tend to abandon more easily. So by studying waterfowl, um, you know, not only do we get to answer research questions in regards to waterfowl, but they, we get a larger sample size. Um, they're easier to monitor and we can apply this information to pheasants and other game birds as well in the region. Cool. So tell us a little bit about the research, how it's designed, any other aspects of the, the questions you're trying to answer. Um, yeah. So there's, there's a lot of questions, I guess, that we, that this data can, um, sort of answer or explore. So I guess I'll start with methodology. Um, so I spend three months of the field season trapping and radio marking uh, predators. So we radio mark raccoons, striped skunks, um, badgers, and coyotes. Um, so the idea here is these collars are programmed to record a GPS point every 30 minutes um, from sunset to sunrise and then every hour between sunrise and sunset throughout the nesting season, um, as well as before and after. So I guess sort of the first question we want to explore is um, comparing movements and habitat selection pre-nesting season, during the nesting season, and post-nesting season. Um, do their behaviors change um, as time goes on? Um, are they and, you know, that can sort of answer, do they develop search patterns? Um, are they looking for nests or are they just sort of incidentally coming about them? Um, so that's kind of the first component. The other is exploring the predator community movement. So um, 
Are certain areas used by raccoons and skunks compared to badgers and coyotes? Do they influence one another? Sort of how the community looks as a whole. Um, so that's the first part of the nest or the field season. The second component is looking at duck nests. So where that's where we uh, do nest dragging, like a lot of other studies I'm sure that um, have been on the podcast, and we mark and monitor the nest for survival over time. So that's kind of incorporating, again, both of those perspectives um, in a holistic study. Okay, so I have a couple of questions here for you. When when are you capturing and marking the predators? You might have mentioned this, but I missed it. Oh, yes. Um, so primarily we start, uh, it depends seasonally, of course. Um, if there's a lot of snow on the ground, we're kind of limited. Um, but we start around March and by the end of April, we have all of our animals more or less marked. And again, we we mark, I think if I've done the math correctly, we've marked over the past three years about 180 individuals. And again, not all of those data sets are complete. Of course, an animal may die before the post-nesting season, let's say, but um, we have thousands and tens of thousands of data points from all of these species um, to sort of make these habitat selection models out of. And so 180 marked uh, mammalian predators. What's the breakdown roughly by species? Yeah. Um, so each year we've done 20 uh, striped skunks and raccoons. So that would be 60 of each. Um, we have 20 badgers radio marked. So uh, we only incorporated badgers recently, um, relatively. So last year we started radio marking badgers. Um, the reason for that is because we attempted to put cameras on nests to try and identify predator through photos. It ended up being more difficult than we anticipated just because of, you know, the hens moving and the grasses moving and the batteries and SD cards kind of get eaten up pretty quickly. But um, we were found finding that badgers are actually a very, very common nest predator in this region. So we decided to add them on and that it was important to to capture or try and quantify what their movements were within this, um, you know, predator prey complex. Um, and then for coyotes, we have 40 or we have uh, 40 coyotes that have been radio marked with a satellite collar. Um, our first year, we used GPS store on board collars uh, for coyotes. They did not fare as well as the satellite collars. Um, so we we do have 60 coyotes radio marked, but the data um, from the first year is uh, smaller or like, I guess, a sample size is smaller than the last two years. For the GPS store on board collars, you have to get about 10 to 20 meters within the individual to remotely download their data. That can be fairly difficult for coyotes. Um, and we did have a release mechanism on those collars in 2018, but a lot of them failed, unfortunately. So what's nice about satellite collars is they communicate um, basically directly with satellites. You can log onto the internet and see exactly where they've been um, throughout the history of that collar's lifespan. Okay. So it's still GPS quality data, even on those satellite, uh, on those satellite yes. towers. I was thinking, I was thinking it might've been the old Argos transmitter, satellite transmitters where it approximated the position using a Doppler effect type deal. And those weren't quite as the, the resolution on those locations wasn't as great as for the GPS, but it sounds like you, you are using GPS positional accuracy, which is good. Good to hear. They're all iridium collars and they all work well. Like I said, it's just kind of uh, the nature of raccoons and skunks. The remote download works very well because they don't, you know, they, they can't run away from you as well as coyotes can. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Coyotes don't let you get as close. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages. Every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. 
Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Mossy Oak has partnered with Ducks Unlimited to bring you Shadowgrass Habitat, the official camo of Ducks Unlimited. Shadowgrass Habitat pays homage to the first waterfowl-specific camo pattern ever made, Mossy Oak Shadowgrass, while incorporating the most realistic, digitally accurate images of the natural habitats that make up true waterfowl habitat. Mossy Oak is committed to conservation as its highest priority. With the launch of Mossy Oak Shadowgrass Habitat, Mossy Oak will continue funding habitat protection projects through our longtime partnership with Ducks Unlimited. Check out the new Shadowgrass Habitat pattern at mossyoak.com. Step into the world of Campus Waterfowl, a community that's shaping the future of the hunting industry. At Campus Waterfowl, we're more than just hunters. We're students. We're, students. we're conservationists. We're conservationists. With the next generation. the next generation. Join us as we highlight the dedication and commitment of young hunters nationwide. Visit CampusWaterfowl.com to become part of our story. Campus Waterfowl, the future of hunting starts here. We are the Ducks Unlimited Nation. United by our passion for hunting, the outdoors, and conservation. The habitats that Ducks Unlimited have been maintaining and building since 1937 have effects far beyond the duck hunting community. Follow along with our YouTube series as we tell your stories and become part of the Ducks Unlimited Nation. DU Nation. Take it outside. Understandable. One of the kind of overriding things that's going on here is we have the, the coyote control in one of the counties, and, and yet we're studying the effects on some of these other species as well, as well, some of these other predator species. So explain that connection. Why would we want to also be studying badgers, skunks, raccoons in, in response to this coyote control mechanism? Raccoons, skunks, and badgers are, I would argue, uh, the main predators uh, for nests within this region. Um, coyotes don't necessarily, you know, they might go after the hens occasionally, but they're they're not really the main predator. I think what they re- coyotes really do within the community is influence the movements of these direct nest predators. Um, so some of our, I guess, initial or preliminary findings is that in the counties or in the county of Fault County, where there is coyote management, um, raccoons and skunks have larger home ranges. They're covering greater ground, you know, nightly as well as throughout the nesting season. They, they tend to move more often and then incidentally, they might encounter more nests. Um, so nest survival is, is actually lower um, in Fault County where they have this coyote management compared to Um, Fall County where they do not. Um, And that's not to say they don't have coyote management in Hand County. They certainly do, just not at the um, caliber that they do in Fall County. Are coyotes direct predators of some of these other smaller uh, carnivores, or is this just some sort of behavioral interaction? Uh, There is, you know, in the literature, they do it is cited of coyotes killing raccoons um, occasionally. It's not a prey resource thing, I don't think. Um, I think it's just more territorial um, and, you know, incidental interactions. So I think the the greater influence is the coyotes' presence um, and their, you know, the the magnitude of their density and their presence on these other species. And then the method of capture, I think I've seen some pictures, but primarily using a combination of leg hold traps or foothold traps as well as live traps. Is that correct? That is correct. Yep. So for um, coyotes and badgers, we're using footholds. Um, they seem to work the best. We we have attempted using snares that are um, crimped, obviously not to lethally remove, you know, dispatch them. Mm-hmm. Um, but the footholds are definitely 
more successful I have found. And then for raccoons and skunks, we do use those live cage traps. Although we do occasionally catch a raccoon in a foothold for sure. All right. Well, we've got the predator angle of the of the study covered. Let's move on to talk a bit more about the duck nesting aspect of it and what you measure there. And um, I'm, I'm guessing that when you're do- searching for these nests, you're not necessarily discriminating among among duck species. If you find any duck nest, you're going to study it. Do I have that correct? That is correct. Yes. And then so what's the breakdown? What's the predominant species of duck that you're finding there in South Dakota on your study sites? Um, we primarily find, uh, I think, our, in our greatest uh, numbers, blue-winged teal. Um, we have a lot of uh, pintail and mallards and gadwall as well, um, as well as shovelers. And of course, I'm, I'm sure as you're aware, um, that changes over time, right? Like pintails and mallards are more common earlier in the nesting season. And then towards the tail end of the nesting season, we're finding more gadwalls just based on their biology. Um, but definitely in numbers, mostly blue-winged teal. Did you see, uh, I, I kind of have to ask you this question because we talked about it a lot this spring and summer about how much rainfall uh, fell on South Dakota and how uh, how the wetland conditions in that state were in such great shape. Did you, or was, were you in a part of the state that also experienced that? And did you notice an improvement in wetland conditions as well as an increase in the number of blue-winged teal from the previous two years? Oh, absolutely. Our first field season in 2018, it was a D2 drought. Um, That season, we only found 110 nests um, throughout, you know, May through July. Um, And, you know, that's that's extremely low. And per field that we dragged, you know, it'd be less than five nests per field. Um, When we moved into 2019, after all of that rainfall, we found 692 nests that year. Um, So an astronomical jump just because of I, yeah, I think that shows by itself how great wetland conditions were that year. Um, and then this past year in 2020, we found uh, 736 nests. Um, wow. So again, a little bit of a jump there. Yeah, well, that's good. So that bears out what we were saying, what we were hearing. And so you've actually brought some some numbers to that uh, to the story that we've been telling. So appreciate you sharing that. Uh, so let's let's just talk a bit more you know, theoretically about what it is we're trying to understand with regard to the interaction between predator movements and how it might influence duck nest success. Now, it's obviously not going to be just the movement of the of the predators, but there's also, I think, if I read correctly, your study was was wanting to help evaluate or try to answer questions about how does landscape composition, maybe the amount of grass, the amount of cropland, number of wetlands, these types of variables, how do those interact with the predator community to influence their effectiveness at, at uh, finding finding nests and, and predating nests? Do I have that roughly correct? Uh, or tell us a bit yeah, more yeah, about right. what we're thinking there. There's a lot of... Um literature and and research that's been done um, quantifying, you know, high grassland composition versus low low grassland composition, um, patch area size, um, you know, distance to edge. There's a, and you know, in in regards to nest success and they hypothesize it has to do with predator movement. Um, So what we're trying to quantify is of course, all of those landscape variables um, in regards to nest success. But now we also have that predator movement data to, you know, back that up. Um, You know, are predators using those edges? Are they not? Um, and sort of how that relates to the fate of the nests, you know, nearest to those locations. Have you been able to analyze any of your data yet to begin to develop a picture of how predator movements differ between different types of landscapes, different compositions of landscape? 
A little bit. Um, we've done sort of third order level um, habitat selection. And we are finding, of course, uh, that raccoons and skunks primarily used more developed areas. Um, again, this region is very rural. So um, developed is a loose term. But, um, you know, they tend to use developed areas, uh, wetland edges, whereas, of course, badgers and coyotes are primarily using the open grassland and, and crop and ag land at farther distances from these more active areas um, in regards to human activity. We haven't really looked so much as far as nest survival, how that translates. But, you know, a lot of research has has suggested that um, in larger grassland patches, there's sort of a dilution effect. There are more nests in a greater area. <clears throat> so find, finding these nests for predators is a little bit more difficult and nest success tends to be higher. So um, we'll get a better perspective of that as we further analyze this data. And that's one of the cool things about your study and having the predators marked is that you'll be able to really explore empirically those mechanisms. You know, we talk about how the large blocks of grass are thought to reduce search efficiency. And by being able to track these individuals, individual predators, I, I don't know the frequency of the location that you're collecting, but nevertheless, I do expect that, that you'll be able to look at their search efficiency in, in some manner and, and explore the mechanisms that are put out there as hypotheses for why nest success nest success may be higher in these larger blocks of uh, of grass so that so we look forward to that i'm certainly not going to ask you to speculate on what what kind of relationships you might find if you haven't fully done the analyses um but it certainly sounds like some exciting work and and yeah happy to hear that you're you've completed your third year and you're now onto the fun part of doing all the analyses and i know you're excited about that right Yes. Um, in addition to, like you said, sort of those landscape characteristics, we're also, um, we have a small component on alternative prey where we did small mammal trapping as well. Um, you know, and of course, over the Julian date, we get to see if nest success is higher or lower as the season goes on. So, um, you know, our, pred our, our nests more vulnerable earlier in the season because there's lower alternative prey available or, you know, is, is nest success lower later in the season when, you know, they develop the search image. So that's kind of another question we're excited to explore as well. Sam, I think we're going to start wrapping up here. So what I want to first do is give you an opportunity to share any other key insight from this research that you, th that you think might be of interest to our listeners. Then I have two additional questions for you. Sure. Yeah, I guess the, the most interesting insight that I'm finding um, is that I think locally in this rural part of South Dakota, there's a lot of negative stigmatism towards coyotes. Um, and I think what we're preliminary, our preliminary results are suggesting that um, coyotes seem to be have an indirect relationship with higher nest success. So they may not be as detrimental to these game bird populations as previously thought. Um, so I think that's the, that's the biggest takeaway. But the main objective, I guess, of this this whole research project is to identify areas where predator use and movement is low and nest survival is high. So really what habitat characteristics and features really promote game bird survival on the greater landscape? We certainly look forward to those results coming out. And hopefully I'll have a chance to get you back on the podcast once you've published all your data and, and have all those great results out uh, among the management community. So, uh, so look forward to that. That. Let's see, a couple of final questions. The first is, maybe this will be kind of fun for you. Reflect back over the past three years. Is there any one story or experience that stands out to you? Um, maybe it was something that was exciting or particularly revealing or something you didn't expect, or was it just some, some other experience that you enjoyed during your field season? Yeah, I think the, I mean, it's not necessarily one experience, but um, coyote trapping as a whole has been 
the most difficult and humbling um, skill that I've had to learn and work at. Um, it's it's extremely difficult um, and it takes a lot of practice and really detail oriented sort of observations. And I've been lucky enough to have both game fish and parks trappers as well as um, local trappers come and help me out and kind of show me their tricks um, to the to the skill. And um, those first few coyote captures that, you know, I put the, the foothold in the ground on my own and was successful have was one of the most rewarding things I think I've experienced um, in the in the, in the <laughs> realm of wildlife research. Did you make it through the three field seasons without getting your hand caught in the trap? I've definitely caught my hand in the trap. I've been sprayed <laughs> by skunk, um, you know, all of all of the things. <laughs> yeah, I kind of wondered about the skunk as well. I think I saw a, a social media post of yours that, that indicated like, you know, once you catch your first skunk, you're going to smell like skunk for the rest of for about the next three or four months, which I thought was... Yeah, well, a testament to the sacrifices that you make as a as a researcher, as a field researcher, for sure. Yes, a lot of my um, my lab mate jokes all the time that I smell like skunk for six months. Just you know, it just lingers. I never get rid of it. (laughs) I would imagine. Um, Well, okay. Final question, and importantly, nothing that we that we do in this profession, whether it be on the research side or the conservation side, is done by a single entity. And so now I want to give you an opportunity to recognize the the various funding partners that were involved in your research. Yes. uh, Game Fish and Parks, of course, um, they've funded the majority of this research for sure. Um, and as, as I mentioned, you know, we kind of tacked on, um, radio marking badgers. They, they've been more than willing to look for additional funds to answer the broader questions or the additional questions that have come up as the field seasons have progressed. Um, Delta waterfowl has also, um, awarded me, um, you know, the Anki Johnson Award. Um, so that's been super nice and I'm very appreciative of their recognition. Um, of course, Ducks Unlimited and the Bonnie, Bonnie Castle Fellowship um, that we were talking about and discussing earlier in this podcast. Um, the Kenneth Higgins Endowment Grant, they've also um, supported this research. And as I mentioned, you know, all of these funds have just allowed for this research to um, broaden and sort of examine a more holistic perspective that we wouldn't otherwise be able to do, as well as fund for the additional help and resources that have allowed this project to be so successful. Well, Sam, I can uh, I, I can tell you based on the, what I've seen of your research, the way the proposal has been described, the, the research has been described, the questions that you're answering, uh, your work is very deserving of all these awards and all these accolades. And so congratulations to you for all of those achievements. Congratulations on making it through three years of field season. Good luck as you can as you wrap up your your PhD, um, your PhD study at South Dakota State University and say hey to your advisor for me there as well, Dr. Josh Stafford. He and I are good friends. And so so uh, give a shout out to him there whenever you see him. And thank you again for joining us here on the Ducks Unlimited podcast and sharing your exciting stories. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate this opportunity. A special thanks to our guest on today's show, Sam Fino, PhD candidate at South Dakota State University. We greatly appreciate her spending her time with us and sharing some of the details and insights from her ongoing PhD research. As always, we thank our producer, Clay Baird, who does a great job editing these podcasts. And to you, the listeners, we thank you for your time. We thank you for your interest in this podcast, spending your time with us and supporting the podcast. And most importantly, we thank you for your support, passion, and commitment to wetlands and waterfowl conservation.
Thank you for listening to this episode of the DU Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit www.ducks.org slash dupodcast for resources based on today's topics, as well as access to more episodes. Opinions expressed by guests do not necessarily reflect those of Ducks Unlimited. Until next time, stay tuned to the Ducks. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Mossy Oak has partnered with Ducks Unlimited to bring you Shadowgrass Habitat, the official camo of Ducks Unlimited. Shadowgrass Habitat pays homage to the first waterfowl-specific camo pattern ever made, Mossy Oak Shadowgrass, while incorporating the most realistic, digitally accurate images of the natural habitats that make up true waterfowl habitat. Mossy Oak is committed to conservation as its highest priority. With the launch of Mossy Oak Shadowgrass Habitat, Mossy Oak will continue funding habitat protection projects through our longtime partnership with Ducks Unlimited. Check out the new Shadowgrass Habitat pattern at mossyoak.com. Step into the world of Campus Waterfowl, a community that's shaping the future of the hunting industry. At Campus Waterfowl, we're more than just hunters. We're students. We're, students. we're conservationists. We're conservationists. With the next generation. next generation. Join us as we highlight the dedication and commitment of young hunters nationwide. Visit CampusWaterfowl.com to become part of our story. Campus Waterfowl, the future of hunting starts here. We are the Ducks Unlimited Nation. United by our passion for hunting, the outdoors, and conservation. The habitats that Ducks Unlimited have been maintaining and building since 1937 have effects far beyond the duck hunting community. Follow along with our YouTube series as we tell your stories and become part of the Ducks Unlimited Nation. DU Nation. Take it outside.